All right, we're here with Andy Smith. Andy, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing good, thanks. Awesome. So you're here because you're coming to Lubbock 2020. Uh, it's our big five-year show. We're really excited to have you. Have you ever been to Lubbock before? Uh, no, I haven't. But I, it's funny, um, you know, I knew where it was. So, you know, I knew it was Texas. But, you know, when I told my wife, she's, I said, yeah, it's, it's Lubbock. She goes, where's that? And I'm like, what do you mean, where's that? And she's like, oh, I don't know. And I'm like, it's in Texas. <laughs> so then, because I don't I, I don't know where I heard the, the city before. I, you know, I heard it somewhere. I mean, I've never been to that part of Texas, but I've heard it before. So it was just surprising that she's like, what, where's that? So then a friend of mine was over and um, he used to live in Texas. He lived in El Paso. Okay. And I know Texas is a really large state. And, I can honestly tell you, I have no idea how far El Paso is from Lubbock, but I just assumed, well, dude's from Texas. Hell no. So I'm like, I'm like, Dennis, tell my wife where Lubbock is. And he just looks at me and goes, well, I have no idea. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, it's in Texas. He goes, oh, okay. And I'm like, what? So, it's just like, how do I know this? Yeah, there's a there's an old saying like if you're on a road trip, if you can make it through Texas, you're halfway home, because we're just yeah. so massive and everything. Yeah, yeah. It's... So yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, you know, <laughs> this is getting so far off <laughs> off topic. People are gonna be like, "What? This guy's asking directions." But I'm just curious, <laughs> how far is Lubbock from Dallas? Um, going the speed limit, it's about. Five and a half ish hours, but oh, okay. you can make it in about four and a half. I mean, just kind of depending what road you take and stuff. We go, we go there a lot. Uh, that's where you know the big sports team, the professional sports teams are, and they used to do the Wizard World convention down there. They do a fan expo convention down there. We go to every year, and yeah, it takes about four and a half hours, so not not too bad. Uh, which in Texas we don't consider that bad, but I know some. Some places, especially like in Europe, they don't drive 45 minutes. So we're like, oh, it's just five hours. That's nothing. That's a day. Uh, you said it. Texas is uh, is a big state. So because <laughs> that's farther than Atlanta is from where I live in, in North Carolina. <laughs> I, I can't imagine myself going, let's just drive to Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. We uh, we went to the this. I mean, while we're off topic, we'll just keep going off topic. We went to the Baseball Hall of Fame a couple of years ago, and we flew into Rome, New York, and we we're like, yeah, we'll just rent a car and we'll drive there, and then either drive to Boston or fly from Rome to Boston. Everybody's like, but Cooperstown to Boston's like a two hour, two and a half hour drive. Yeah, and that I don't. I live out in the country, so it takes me twenty minutes to get thirty minutes to get into town. So. I don't know. We're just uh, different mindset. <laughs> uh, like, are you from Texas? I am. Uh, born and raised. I've traveled around, moved around, but keeps pulling me back in. Sure, sure. It's good. Uh, that's cool. Nothing but, wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know. But, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I love going to places I've never been before. So. Yeah, we have a lot of cool stuff, so hopefully we can show you around and you know, have a have a good time. One thing, you know, even growing up in small town Texas, something we had, and this kind of dates myself, but, you know, we still had comic spinner racks in drugstores and convenience stores and everything like that. And that's, oh, yeah. that's really how I got into comics, you know. 
mom or dad would be in line buying something, I'd be like, ooh, look at this. And I'd go on later to realize, oh, this is Jim Lee or whomever, um, you know, Frank Miller, whoever it may be. How did you get into comics? What what got you uh, having that bug? You know, pretty much the same thing. It's, just, it's funny because you did date your – you said Jim Lee. So that that dates – it does date yourself because I mean that's what we're looking. Are you talking about like 1991, 90? Obviously, but 89 before he, before Image, of course, right? Mm. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So for me, it was like 1983, and you know, kind of the same thing. I was actually uh, walking home from the bus stop. You know, the bus dropped my brother and I off at the stop, and there's a 7-Eleven convenience store that uh, was right by us that we, we walked by every day and, you know, we usually stop in and, you know, the, they had a couple arcade games and one, you know, was Donkey Kong and uh, we'd play that and I don't know what it was. They didn't have a spinner rack, but as soon as you walked in the double doors of that 7-Eleven, uh, was like the big island counter and at the front of the counter was the magazines and on like the lower... I guess right hand corner of that magazine rack, it was probably you know, like eight feet across and, you know, like three feet high was a section of comics. And I just, you know, we go into the 7 Eleven all the time, but this one time I just happened to look down and it was this issue of Captain America that just grabbed my eye. And it was Captain America 275. And um, I was like, man, that's freaking cool. That cover is awesome. And it was Cap. I actually have, you know, speaking of spinner racks, I have a spinner rack. Oh, nice. Uh, next to my desk that has comics on it. And I have that issue of Cap on my spinner rack. And um, I picked it up. And, you know, the cover was Captain America kind of coming right at us. And it's by Mike Zek. <clears throat> and there was, there was a wall behind it because, you know, bullets were leaving marks on the wall and, you know, coming off the shield and stuff. And once again, another image I won't forget, I open it up, and on the splash page, it was a splash page of Captain America coming, like, coming through a wall. Not, not like, bursting through it to where there's chunks of cement and stuff, but, like, almost like Kitty Pride, you know, when they would draw her, where you'd see part of his body through the wall, and the other part's just gone. You're like, what the? And I was like, that's just so cool. So, you know, that was 60 cents back then. So I'm like, you know what? Skip a few of the Donkey Kongs. I can buy this. So I bought it, and that really kind of hooked me um, in the comics. And I remember I got a subscription to it. I must have talked my parents into it. So I got a subscription to that, to Captain America. And back then, they came in those brown uh, sleeves. Mm. So, uh, and I just love those sleeves. I, one of the regrets I have is I didn't keep the brown paper sleeves that they came in. Uh, I say that because a friend of mine in town who's, he's older than me, but you know, when he subscribed, they came in those brown sleeves and he kept them all. Wow. And I was like, Oh man, I never thought of that. So he still has all the, the brown paper sleeves that his came in. So yeah, so I subscribed to it. I couldn't wait, you know, for the, you know, how it is. You're a kid, you know, waiting a month is like eternity. Um, so I was just always, you know, I get one and then 
it wouldn't even clue in on my, you know, 13 year old mind that, okay, this one just came. It's going to be four weeks. Cause then after that, every day I'd get home from school and be like, did the mail come? <laughs> uh, so, I'm, I'm still the same way. I mean, it's, you know, being almost 40 and it's still hard to wait three or four weeks for an issue. And then heaven forbid, you know, it's like an image comic and you wait two years between an issue or whatever. And <laughs> it, it's still murder. I mean, just not just as kids. It's just part of the, I guess, the no, it is. you know, I'll, I'll read a book cause I still buy comics and I'll read a book current day and be like, Oh, now I got to wait a month. But you know, as an adult, at least there's just so much more work and everything to occupy your time that, you know, for me, at least, the, the next thing I know, it's like, oh, my God, it's been a month already? Mm. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's always a good little surprise, too, Like especially if it is one of those really long hiatuses. You're like, oh, yeah, I I forgot I had that. That's awesome. Okay, cool. Like, yeah. I can do something besides, you know, grown-up stuff for, for a few minutes. And it's great. Yep. So yeah. growing up, you know, reading those comics and stuff, when – did you realize, or when did you say to yourself, hey, you know what? I can do that. That's what I want to do. I want to be in the industry. Like, what was that journey like? Well, I always drew as a kid. Um, and I, I tell people that I think every kid, I don't, I don't know if you have kids or not, but I think every kid draws. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have, a, I have a daughter. She's 16. And when she was like two or three, she drew. But what I tell people is the difference is they grow out of it, but I never did. You know, I just, it was just this something inside of me that I just had to do. Mm-hmm. So even before I discovered comics, I was always drawing. And what I was drawing back then was cars. Not great, you know, but that's, you know, I collected Hot Wheels cars as a kid, um, I loved cars. I loved watching the Dukes of Hazard because I loved the General Lee, you know, that specific Dodge Charger. Um, I had books on cars, so I would just copy cars and, and draw cars. But when I got that comic, everything just kind of switched. And I was like, whoa, somebody's got to do this for a living. And I just started trying to draw people. You know, I didn't even give it a second thought. It was like, all right, I'm going to start, start copying stuff from comics and you know, trying to draw my own and and just made that switch. And, you know, that, like I said, that's when I was about 12, 13. So end of middle school, you know, beginning of high school, I made that switch over and, you know, took the art classes in high school and stuff. And my teacher saw, you know, what I had an affinity for drawing wise, which was, you know, comic book style superheroes and whatnot. So she kind of help foster that and you know how it is in high school at least for me it was oh people don't take art because it's an easy a not because they care about art you yeah. know and uh i think for me the teacher saw oh my god i've got a student that actually cares <laughs> i'm not just sitting here you know talking to talking to four walls and trying to get their attention this 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 kid actually cares so i can i can kind of help them and you know help him meet his goal and stuff and um from that you know just from collecting comics i came across an ad for the kubert school that's where i went to art school 
And back then, and well, even to this day, they advertise the comics. So I, I saw the ad for the Hubert School, and I knew who Joe Hubert was from, uh, you know, reading comics and such, and pretty much just told my parents, hey, this is where I want to go, this is what I want to do. And, uh, you know, they were really supportive and backed me, you know, the whole way. That, that's awesome. You know, you had those, those pillars throughout, whether it be the art teacher or your parents, you know, everybody supported you and stuff. Because I know uh, even recently, you know, up until real recently, a lot of schools and parents and stuff, you tell them, oh, I want to be an artist or I want to be a writer or something. They're like, oh, that, that's not a real job. That's a, a hobby or whatever. So that encouragement and support is always really important. Obviously, you know, it, it paid off. People encouraged you and got to go to school and draw comics. So that's, it's just really cool to see stories like that work out. Yeah, yeah. No, I, you know, it's funny because growing up in the house that I grew up in, it was, you know, my mom and dad and my brother and I, and we had, we still had an extra room in the house that wasn't really a guest room, but. I don't know what it was before this. I, I think it might have been my dad's office. And then when my dad didn't need a home office anymore, they, you know, and this was right around, you know, when I was 14 or 15, they bought me, you know, a wooden drawing table. You know, back then, you know, that was the standard, which is that wooden one that looks like the one Jack Kirby drew on. Mm-hmm. And um, it was set up in that room. And when people would come over, they'd always think, oh, that's not yours. That's got to be your dad. I'm like, no, it's mine. You know, they bought it for me. And because basically I could hang up whatever I wanted on the walls. And so I already had, you know, when I was in high school, like this little studio in my house. And yeah, my friends would come over and just like, no way that you're like, no, it is. So yeah, they really, uh, you know, they were really behind me, you know, doing it and stuff. So. So take us through after Kubert School and stuff. What? Because, you know, I, I know there's a lot of beliefs and myths about, oh, yeah, I did that. So I walked out and I was drawing X-Men the next day or something. And that's not exactly how it goes down. Uh, so kind of well, what what happened with fun- you? It, it's funny that you kind of say it like that because I didn't walk out drawing X-Men, but I actually got. So I, I went from 88 to 91. So I start, you know, the Cuber school is three years. Mm-hmm. So I started in the fall of 88. And I graduated in, you know, spring 91 or early summer, whatever. Um, but it's funny because in the spring of 91, when I was still going to the Cuber school as a senior, I did get my first gig for DC. Nice. So <laughs> I actually, it, you know, it wasn't super easy, but I'm sure other people have stories that are, a lot harder mm-hmm. for me what happened was when i started my senior year in the, in the fall of 1990 uh you know i i went in the first day and you know the Cuber school is not like regular college and what i mean by that is the Cuber school i would always tell people it's more like high school and it's because it's from september you know basically the day after labor day and this is when i went i think it's pretty much day like this so it's from September to May. Uh, there's no classes during the summer. And you don't have, like, this long list of classes 
choose from. It's, you know, here's your schedule. And I also say it's like high school because whereas with regular college, you know, you talk to, you know, somebody might have their schedule where they're like, oh, I've got one class today, you know, and it's from, say, two to five. And that's it. And then the next day they might have two classes. And the next day they might have three. And then the next day they might just have one again. And then they might have a day off. But the keyboard school is five days a week. And it's roughly from around, say, 8.30 to 2.30 with a break for lunch. And you have two classes a day. So you have 10 classes a week. Wow. Yeah. So it's really intense. And, you know, Joe, when I went, Joe was still interviewing people personally. You know, you had to, you could do a phone interview, but we lived in Maryland. That's where I grew up. So it was only a four hour drive. So we actually drove up there when I did my interview to go to the school so I could meet Joe, tour the school. And, you know, there's no internet. So besides looking at the brochure that they sent me in the mail and seeing the pictures, I wanted to actually see where I was going to be going. And my parents, you know, were all for that as well. So, you know, went up there toward the school, met with Joe, did the whole interview process. Anyhow, so the first day of school, you get your schedule. And the schedule pretty much just breaks down. You know, these are the 10 classes you're taking. Uh, and these are who your teachers are. These are the rooms they're in. You know, so on and so forth. And I happened to see that one of the new teachers uh, that was teaching that year, but not third-year student who was teaching second-year student was Bart Sears. And, you know, Bart was working on Justice League Europe at the time. He was one of my favorite artists. That was a book I was buying every every month. And I was like, I don't care if this guy's teaching second-year students or not. I'm not coming here and not going to meet this guy. You know, if he's going to be in the building, he was teaching twice a week, twice a week. So I went and introduced myself to him and, you know, showed him my work and obviously said, you know, I'm a third year student, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he must have saw something in my work because, you know, long story short, we became friends and he would, he lived kind of close by. So he would tutor me after school and uh, I'd go over to his, his place while he was working on Justice League Europe and I would do my homework assignments and show him stuff and get critiques and so on and so forth. And in the spring of 91, when he was going up to D.C. to drop some pages off, he asked if I wanted to tag along and bring some of my work and introduce me to some editors. So I said, oh, yeah, definitely. So I went up there and, you know, did that, showed my work around and got critiqued. And, you know, I can't remember the stuff they said, but basically I, I met with four editors, four or five, and they looked through my portfolio and critiqued it and, uh, gave me some notes and said, you know, work up some new stuff and, you know, come back up, you know, and show me your new stuff. I was like, all right. So like two weeks goes by, I worked up some new sample pages and, you know, Bart was like, let's go. You know, I got to go up there again because he would make regular trips up to drop his work off. So I went up and it was cool because they recognized me and they remembered me. And they were actually impressed that it was like, oh, man, this kid actually came back within a reasonable amount of time. It wasn't like he dropped off the face of the earth and was like months later. Hey, remember me? It was within two weeks. So, you know, they, you know, some of the editors were just straight up, 
and said, you know, I'd like to give you something, but I don't have anything. And then some editor said, you know, stuff looks really nice. I see, you know, took some of the, the notes I gave you. You know, you still work on this and this. And then it just so happens that one of the editors I met was a was an editor named Mike Carlin. And Mike didn't have anything, but he was sharing an office with another editor named Dan Raspler. And he said, hey, Dan, you want to take a look at this kid's stuff? And Dan was like, yeah, sure. So, you know, Dan looked at it and it was like, you know, I'll give you a, I'll give you a shot. So I was like, okay. So I got my first gig in uh, March of 91 at D.C. And it was an uh, issue of Suicide Squad. And back then, they had these things called inventory stories. And what an inventory story was, it was basically for fresh blood, for new people. So there wasn't, you know, he knew I was going to the Qbert school because I explained, you know, I'm a Qbert student and whatever. And I said, you know, I really want to do this, but I don't graduate till May and I've got lots of schoolwork, but I'll try and fit it in. And he goes, look, this is why I'm giving you an inventory job. There's no deadline. Start it in May. You know, start it after you graduate. And I was like, all right. So I got the script and he said, no, just stay in touch and let me know when you graduate and we'll go from there. And I was like, okay. So basically I had the job. So, you know, six weeks go by, I graduate, like I call him, I'm like, I graduated. And he's like, all right, let's, uh, let's get rolling on this. Uh, you know, he gave me a deadline of like four and a half weeks, I think, something like that, you know, a, a realistic deadline. And, uh, like I was saying, an inventory job is basically a job that back then they would have totally done. So they'd have it penciled, inked, lettered, colored, and they'd have it sitting there. So if an issue looked like it was not going to make uh, the printer, instead of a book shipping late, they could go, no sweat. I've got this inventory job in my drawer. Send this to the printer instead. So uh, long story short, that job never saw print. <laughs> <laughs> It's still in a desk somewhere at DC's office, just waiting. Well, no, you know what the funny <laughs> thing is? The funny thing is, um, it was about, so that was 1991. It was, about, it was about 2001, 2002. I got a FedEx. You know, a FedEx showed up at my door from DC. And at this time, I was working for CrossGen in Tampa. So I was, you know, I was exclusive with them. But this FedEx box shows up, and I'm like, huh, nobody told me anything was coming. I wonder what it is. So I open it up. It was my original artwork to that Suicide Squad job <laughs> like 10 years earlier. Uh, well, I mean, it gets good they, good they kept it. Yeah, so I got I, – I literally had the whole job because it – I guess – so my understanding was with inventory jobs that they got them totally done so they could pull it from the drawer – but this job never went beyond the pencil stage because it wasn't inked, it wasn't lettered. Hmm. So I'm assuming he got it and he put it in the drawer. And, you know, with a, you know, they'll have enough notice if a book is going to ship late to where he probably could have been like, oh, time to get this job inked and lettered, you know, because there's really no reason, I guess, to spend the money on the out of the budget to do those extra steps when it might never be used, hmm. which... It was never used. So, so I had the whole twenty-two page job 
in the FedEx box that it came in in my closet. <laughs> that that's a really cool story. Like that's the breaking in and meeting everybody, but getting your foot in the door while also I guess you got your foot in the drawer instead of the door. I don't I don't know, but Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. You that that's <laughs> so you go on, you know, you've you've done stuff for Marvel and Cross Gen, you've drawn some of the biggest characters, biggest stories out there. I wanna ask, has there ever been a character that has come across, you know, your your table or in the script or something, and you're just like, Okay. Yeah, I know a lot of people don't like drawing the thing and and stuff, but a character that not that you didn't want to draw, but just maybe challenged you in a different way. And so you had to, you know, really dive down and and try new things. Probably, probably Batman. Um, I haven't drawn a ton of Batman, but when I did draw him, it was basically having to help out. You know, a book was running late. This was, I don't know seven eight years ago a book was running late and you know the editor was like hey can you do some pages for a batman for me and i'm like yeah i got time no problem and i've always wanted to draw batman but at the same time you know out of the big two which i consider batman and superman at dc i i like superman a lot more i've always just liked superman more but you know hey batman's a great character to draw but it was intimidating because I never drew professionally before. It was always just sketches and stuff like that for people. And I don't know, it was just something about his cape that I just had this, his cape and his cow. Because he's been drawn by so many fantastic artists throughout, throughout the years and so many different versions of him. You know, this isn't, you know, at the time I did him, it was, you know, the gray costume and his cow was black and stuff compared to like when I grew up where it was, you know, the blue cape, blue boots, gray costume, yellow symbol stuff. And I'm like, man, I've only got four or five pages of this, of Batman. And he's on almost every page. And I want, you know, it's one of those things you want to leave your mark and stuff. And, but it's your first time doing it. And for me, at least whenever I do a book, or do a new project, it usually takes me, you know, like if it, if somebody's like, Hey, we want you to draw this monthly book. And it's somebody I've never drawn before. It takes me a good issue or two before I, I get it down. Well, I don't have that kind of time. I've got five pages to get it down. So it would definitely have to be Batman. That's the first one that came to mind. Nice. Yeah. That's I watch or not watch, but I, you know, I see, all all of you amazing artists out there doing stuff and i i guess you gotta sometimes have to kind of throw physics out the window uh especially things i've seen pe people do with batman's cape and stuff is that something when you draw you know like drawing superman or batman and things do you just say hey it's a comic book and physics don't count or do you try and add that realistic spin on it you know like okay his cape wouldn't twirl up and cut back here is that something when on top of having to think about 
character positioning and lighting and the million other things you have to think about when drawing. You... I'm a mix because I, I consider I, I've gone through a couple style changes throughout my career. And, you know, what I mean is in the around 95, 96, when I went back over to Marvel, this was when uh, Joe Mad was super popular on X-Men and Mike Rowingo was super popular on Spider-Man and everything coming out of Marvel or a good part of it at that time period was more cartoony. And when I went back, the job I did was a, a strong guy one shot and it was, you know, strong guy from X Factor. But the editor was like, but we, we like it more cartoony. Is that something you can do? And I said, yeah. And he goes, would you mind? And, you know, he's like, we'll pay you for it and everything. But would you mind doing a one page strong guy thing for us that will, you know, I can't remember where it ran, but it was just this one off one page, you know, story thing. And they were like, you know, draw it in a cartoonier style. And I was like, no problem. So it was kind of my tryout. So, I, you know, it worked out because I ended up doing two strong guy one shots and a few other things at Marvel in that cartoonier type style. But my natural style which I veered back towards and, you know, what I've been doing since CrossGen is, you know, I guess I call it stylized realism where it's not realistic to the point of like photograph uh, realism, but I'm not totally exaggerating to the point of cartooniness either. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's kind of like, I don't know. I, I, I grew up reading how to draw comics the Marvel way. So I kind of look at stylized realism. I put like John Buscema in that school. He's, he's his stuff you look at. And obviously it's comic books, but it's also to me falls more into a realistic category than say Jack Kirby. Mm -hmm. you know? So that's kind of how I grew up. Uh, learning was from guys like that and, you know, Mike Zach and, and even Neil Adams, you know, Neil Adams is definitely more realistic, but it's still stylized realism with the exaggeration of the figures and the movement and stuff. So there's more action to it. You know, once again, I, I just go back to how to draw comics the Marvel way. There's a great section in it where uh, Busema shows, you know, uh, a series of figures, gestures of a guy throwing a punch. And like the mid gesture is labeled realistic. So it's very static. It's very, you know, if you look at a boxer, when he throws a punch, their body isn't really leaning over to almost a horizontal position. They're still just, they're not a hundred percent straight up and down. They're tilted some, but in comics, when you draw a dude throwing a punch the Marvel way, you know, their body is like really lunging forward because you want to have that nice line of action and sweep to the figure. So that's where I try to bring things from. So when I draw somebody with a cape, I try to think of how can I make the cape, you know, flow with the, the figure to give the figure more movement and more energy or, uh, or just a more pleasing composition inside the panel to have the cape work 
that way as well with all the elements in the panel, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I was just, I always like to ask because, you know, like you said, there's so many different styles and different ways. I always like to see how the mind works when looking at that and what people think because it's, it's one of those things, you know, if you do it right, nobody notices it. And that's a good thing, but I always wonder about things. Sure. Oh, yeah. So we're talking all these different styles and different projects and stuff. What can people hope to see when you come to Lubbockon? What all is going to be at your table? What can they hope to find? We're going to be bringing some Demigod hardcovers. Demigod's the book that Ron Mars and I did with Ominous Press, which we're both uh, co-owners of. And Bart Sears is the other co-owner, and Sean Husbar is the fourth member of the group. And Demigod is a, it, all the, all the characters with Omnis Press, Bart basically created. And then with Demigod, he kind of gave the, the outline of it to Ron and then Ron fleshed it out more and we turned it into a, a four issue series. So we did a hardcover collection of issues one and two. And then there's also a 12 page story in it that you can only get in this hardcover collection. Nice. So that, so I'll be bringing copies of that. I also, another book we did with Omnis Press is we have our art book series, which is called The Black Book. So volume one was Black Book, The Art of Bart Sears. Volume two is mine, so it's Black Book, The Art of Andy Smith. And then we have Jim Starlin, Graham Nolan, Daryl Banks. So we've done a few volumes of that, but I'll have some volumes of mine. It's a 112-page hardcover art book, which, you know, has comic you know, artwork from comics I've done. I've also done advertising type works. There's, there's some of that in there. So it's just kind of like the best of uh, collection of my work. Uh, I did a book called dynamic hero templates, which it's not a, how to draw book. It's when I was growing up learning to draw, I create characters like kids do. But I would kind of get discouraged because I would create these characters and I might think the costume was cool, but the drawing itself wasn't anywhere near the level of a professional artist. So I put this book together last year and volume one is just the mail. And what it is, it's a 48 page book that has eight different male body types front and back on each page. And then... They're printed in blue, and the whole concept is for the designer to take their pencil and draw right over the figure that I drew in the book to make up your own costumes. Oh, that's cool. So then kind of see how it looks over, you know, like I said, there's eight different body types I drew. So there's two standard heroic male figures. And for me, my definition of standard hero figure is like a Superman or a Batman. So I did two versions of that character. And then there's, you know, the real hawkish big character. And there's the teenager type body. And then there's the child, young Robin type, you know, Damien uh, Wayne type body. There's a big husky guy and a small dwarf type figure. So there's different body types. And, and then each body that on a different page is a larger head for the detail of uh creating the headgear or mask or whatever. So I'll be bringing copies of that to sell as well. And um, I might have some prints. 
available. Of course, I'll be doing sketches uh, for for people that want head sketches or figure, you know, full figure, whatever, you know, or blank covers. That's a big thing now. So I have some of those that are already pre-done. I'll be bringing. Um, yeah, so that's about that's that's what I'm bringing. My table is always generally. I go all right. What am I not putting out that I have to leave in my suitcase? <laughs> but I'd rather I'd rather have that than oh crap! I've got lots of space left over. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Sounds like there's going to be a little bit of everything for for everybody. And then you're also going to be doing a panel while you're down here with us, which I'm excited about. You're doing a bringing a script to life panel. Can you give yes. us a little uh, preview or kind of what what all that's going to be about? Yeah, so a couple years ago, two, three years ago maybe, yeah, in fact, it, it had to be within the past three years because the page I, I show as an example is from Demigod. I've done a few lectures around town. I used to teach at UNC Charlotte over here. So I put together a PowerPoint presentation of bringing a script to life. And it starts off with the script, you know, I take Ron, Ron Mars's actual script, one of the pages, and so, you, so the people that attend can see what an actual comic book script looks like that the artist gets. And then from there, I go to my initial thumbnail stage and my the layout stage. The pencils get a little bit tighter, but because I'm inking it myself, I don't get fully uh, to the full pencil stage that I would do for another, uh, for an inker. But I added in... You know, I've tweaked the presentation some, so I've added into the PowerPoint some pages of what my full pencils look like so people can see the difference between what I ink my work from compared to what I do for, you know, somebody else that's going to ink it. And then it goes all the way through to the lettering and the color as well. So at the end of the presentation, I, you know, I take you through to the finished color on the page. Nice. That's so going to be... It's a it's a pretty full presentation. I even added at the beginning of the the PowerPoint. We talked about that Captain America comic I bought, and I added a slide of that. So I do a little history of what got me into comics as well. Oh, and I, a new treat just added to the PowerPoint to be uh, <laughs> to be seen for the first time at your con is I found some art I did when I was in high school. So I added that to the PowerPoint as well. <laughs> so it's like a little comic history, a little you history, how to, just all rolled into one. I think that's really neat because a lot of people, even comic book readers, you know, if they're not diehard, I don't think they realize that process, you know, and how not only meticulous, but uh, how it's either widespread, you know, you got a lot of people in it, or you have one one or two people doing a big workload. So I always like when people shine light on that and say, hey, yeah, no, there's, you have a writer, you have a artist, you have an inker, you have a colorist, you have a letterer, or you have one guy who's doing two or three of those jobs. And yep. it's, I, I think it is real informative uh, and enlightening, especially to maybe younger people who want to get into comics and they're like, oh, okay. They, cause I know when I was little, real little, uh, you know, I knew, okay, there's a writer and an artist, but I, I think you didn't read the 
the credits in comics. You know, you're eight, nine years old. You didn't oh, yeah. care. But now it's like, okay, it, it, you know, for kids, they're like, okay, you know what? You may not be the best artist, but hey, there's other avenues you can go. You can be a letterer or, you know, there, or, you know, you may not be a good letterer, but you could be a great inker or whatever. And so um, giving, letting people know that there's choices out there and uh, giving shout outs and respects to those, those jobs I always think is, is really fun. I'm, I'm really interested to see how, uh, to see the panel and, and go on that journey with you. Well, one of the reasons I added the stuff, so the first, so I actually added one of the first drawings I did of my character, First Man, who was a one-issue comic I did back in 97 through Image. Uh, I, one of the first slides is a drawing of him I did when I was a kid. And it's one of the ones that when I did the Kickstarter for my template book that you draw your own costumes in, I showed on the Kickstarter page that drawing I did it when I was a kid. And then I drew the exact same costume, didn't modify it, because he was modified from when I did the book in 97 as a professional, but I didn't want to modify it, so I drew the exact same costume over one of the templates in the book just to show what a difference it can make. But for the PowerPoint, I wanted to show it just because I think, and I know I had this vision when I was a kid, and I would meet artists at conventions, professional artists, that it's like, oh, man, I'll never do that. Look at my stuff. It sucks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's not true. Everybody has to start somewhere. You know, you have to, one of the things I would tell my students is, you know, you have to crawl before you can walk, and you have to walk before you can run, and then even if you want to go further than that, if you're just, you know, running a mile, you've got to run that mile to work up to five, to work up to ten, to work up to that marathon. You know, nobody just goes, you know, there's not a, there's not a baby that you're like, oh, he's six months old. All right, pal, stand up and start walking. It just doesn't happen. Right. (laughs) It's a journey that you have to go on and get through. And that's part of it is getting out all these drawings. Uh, One of the teachers, I had an artist named Jose Delbo, who was, you know, worked a lot in the uh, he did Wonder Woman back in the 70s and a ton of stuff for DC back then. I mean, he's retired now, but he would say that, you know, there's 10,000 drawings in you, so get to work. <laughs> You're going to get those 10,000. There's 10,000 bad drawings in you before you get to the good one. Mm. So so it's like, okay, well, get to work because those 10,000 just don't happen unless you start drawing. So nice. get them out. Yeah, that's it's awesome. I, I think a lot of people are really going to, have a lot of great takeaways and enjoy uh, not only these panels, but I think just you, your presence here at the con, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. People get to see all the different steps and all the different books and everything. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And I, I want to say thank you so much for coming and checking us out and, and joining us. Of course. I appreciate it. Nice. Yeah. Everybody, you'll be able to find Andy February 29th and March 1st at Lubbock Memorial Civic Center for the fifth annual Lubbockon. And again, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. And we will see you at the end of February.